going to talk about this morning and a question that came my way. Um, a lot of times we are looking at these questions. And by the way, if you still have some, I want to continue on until October and then have my wife take the ladies and I'll take the men. And uh, of course, we'll go into the teen room and uh, have our, our class back there. But uh, these questions, if you could just continue to bring them in to me. I need a few more of them before we uh, end up splitting up in our sessions. I do have another question for next week, but if you'd like to, if you have questions concerning what's going on in our world, um, maybe you have a question. Somebody did actually talk to me a little bit about this movement uh, that's going on in our our country today. Um, uh, I think that there's uh, not only the Antifa movement, but where is the money going to, that kind of thing. There's more of a contemporary issue thing. It's not a philosophy um, as far as I'll give you the facts concerning it and a little bit more about what is happening with that particular movement. I think if you're going to uh, remember that by holding on to a movement, is that you'll be able to bring equality. I, I think that's underlying. That's the desire that they have, or, or kind of a, a myth, that there'll be equality. Um, you know, I, I don't think you'll be able to ever have it on either side uh, without humility. And so uh, coming together. And so we'll talk about a little bit about that um, next week. Uh, this particular lesson today has to do with uh, the question that was given to me, was dealing with uh, fasting. And, um, and so I thought I would actually uh, have us look at a portion of Scripture. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. And by the way, it was great food last night. I was really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I sat alone last night because everybody else was speaking Spanish. And so, uh, but I had a good time. I actually went back to the table three times, uh, but I didn't get a lot each time. I did get a little. Um, and I did have some sweets. I was so thankful um, that uh, people weren't telling me that I couldn't have that. Uh, <laughs> and so here we are today. Uh, I ate a lot last night, and I thought the rapture was going to take place. It didn't really matter. But here we are today. So, But I, it was really explain the concept of fasting. That's the question. And with all kidding aside, this is a very serious subject, and I think it needs to be addressed uh, from the New Testament and so um, I want to teach you something today that uh, would probably be one of the greatest things you'll ever learn, and that is what is fasting. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 17. I want to begin in verse number 14. If you have a Bible uh, in front of you, uh, you can look at these verses with me. You may want to grab a Bible in front of you if you don't have one. There's some Bibles there in the pew. And, and read these verses because I think they're very powerful concerning this particular issue. Uh, how many have ever wondered about fasting in the New Testament? Raise your hand. Thank you for being honest. Uh, thank you for, 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 um, for even desiring that. I think to know something about it is something that God has placed in you. Uh, but look at verse number 14, if you would. It says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and, and saying, So here is this man that is kneeling down, and that particular word is the same as kneeling down. Sometimes the New King James has translated the word worship as just kneeling down. That's not what is happening. This man, particular man, was kneeling down and um, doesn't say worship, but it does say he knelt down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a he is lunatic and, and sore vexed. For oftentimes uh, he falleth into the fire and often into the water. 
And so this is an issue that the man has. Oh, thank you so much. I already have one. I think, you're, I think Sarah got me one. So is this for your father, maybe? I'll put it over here for your dad. Uh, so anyway, uh, um, going, going into this understanding is that the word lunatic is mentioned here in the scriptures. And what does that word mean? A lot of times we look at uh, someone that's, that uh, is, is having a difficult time, uh, perhaps. And I, I, I think it's, you've heard of the word moonstruck. Uh, Luna would be lunar, so you're dealing with the moon. Um, and, and what was actually being expressed here, that he was being stricken by the moon's adjustment. Uh, or this particular issue was actually increased because of the changes in the moon. Um, somebody might actually say uh, that I, I'm, I'm a lunatic over her, or I'm a lunatic over him, or I'm just a lunatic when it comes to hunting or fishing. And so what they're saying is I'm, I'm moonstruck, or I'm crazy over that particular issue. So you've probably heard that being used, that term being used that way. But in here, he's actually expressing that he's got an issue with his child, a son, and he is a, a lunatic or struck by the moon and, and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. So some of the, of the commentaries we're talking about, the, the, the commentaries were actually talking about the issue of the problem here was epilepsy. Um, uh, is that how you say that? Epilepsy. Um, epilepsy or uh, dealing with aggravated by, by his epilepsy um, because of the moon changes. Um, some say that it was actually brought on because of an evil spirit. Um, but the devil is part of the problem here because the Lord Jesus Christ ad- addresses that issue. Um, in verse number 15 says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lo- or he is lunatic um, and sore vexed. So you've got two things going on. He is struck by the moon, but this is vexing him to the place where he is going to fall and will fall into the fire, almost like being tripped up or cast into the fire, cast into the water, and the issue is pretty strong. And I brought him uh, to, to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that hour. And then came the disciples to Jesus' part and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith in the grain of of a mustard seed, you shall say unto that mountain, Remove hence to to yonder place, and it shall be removed, uh, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer, and fasting. And so this is New Testament, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with an issue of somebody who was going through a difficult time and had a son that was bothered by it. The man came to Jesus. We know the context of it. And so when we're looking at fasting, we're looking at a situation where Jesus did approve of it. 
and he approved of it to the point of saying that if you do fast and you do pray, that God is going to give you that kind of power and that kind of strength to be able to even cast out the demons that are bothering people. And uh, I, I want to share with you, too, that I personally believe that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, but I believe somebody who is not a Christian can be. Um, I, was in the, I was in the Marine Corps with a fellow that I, was, I know was demon-possessed. Um, at one time, I was at Fort Lee, West, or Fort Lee Virginia, uh, and, and doing some training, and uh, two of the guards came in to uh, help a little guy that was having trouble. He had been drinking. And uh, he picked the men up and threw them. Uh, I got to see this with my own eyes. Uh, I believe that he was possessed. Now, I think the alcohol increased it because alcohol is liquid hell. Uh, it's a demonic juice. Uh, it doesn't have any, any uh, credence in the Christian's life. And so I was actually shaken up at that. I saw that from a distance. And I saw this individual that was possessed. And so, but I believe that Christians can't be. Now, the Christians, what they do uh, is they can give their heart or part of their heart and their mind to things that they shouldn't give it to. So there's a little slice of the pie to Satan, and then Satan takes that slice, and he can little by little gain control in a person's life. I believe that can happen, but the, but the Christian yields that to Satan. Um, that's why it's important for us to be, be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why it says, be not drunk with wine, we're in success, but be filled with the Spirit. Basically, Paul was addressing that particular issue that an individual may be bothered, if you would, because of the demonic spirits to the point of throwing them off. For the Christian, um, it's up to you whether you yield to the devil or not. He doesn't control you. The Lord Jesus Christ controls you, but you can give yourself over to that if you're not careful. And so I think it's important for us to understand the particular individual here, I believe, was not saved. I believe that he was being uh, hindered by uh, Satan. And then the, the, the solution was to be able to cast out the demon so that that individual could have the opportunity to, to be able to live the kind of life that he wanted to live. It certainly would help the parents out quite a bit because the parents were concerned about him. And, of course, it would help his own soul. So what is fasting? Fasting is to abstain from the use of food or drink for a period of time for spiritual purposes. And so when you're looking at a definition of fasting and praying, we know what praying is. Praying is basically asking God. Um, um, prayer is asking. That's what John R. Rice wrote a book on that years ago. An excellent, uh, really a study and a dissertation on prayer. Um, we know it's adoration, we know it's thanksgiving, we know it's all involved with it, confession, supplication. Someone actually put out the word acts, A-C-T-S, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication would be a good way to remember your prayer life. And so your prayer life is absolutely essential. But fasting is quite different. Fasting is refraining from, uh, abstaining from food. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that for a long period of time. Um, or, or a consistency in the fasting where it was something that you did for, for a period of time. Um, and, and I think going back to the scriptures and understanding what the Bible says about it, I think it'll help. Uh, let me look, give you three kinds of fasting in the Bible. There's the simple fast, and that's in Luke chapter 4, verse number 2. Jesus fasted 
uh, 40 days and nights. It says he ate no food. It does not say that he didn't drink any water. So the simple fast would be, I believe, without any kind of uh, food, but there is still the drinking of the water. Uh, so fasting from food, that's the simple fast. Um, number two, or letter B, um, selective fasting, where a person chooses not to eat certain foods or abstain from meals. Um, and that particular fast is mentioned in Daniel chapter 10, verse number two, because um, that's what actually Daniel was going to say. For 10 days, you come back and see me and then take a look at your people um, and see, what, see how the Lord is going to work within me. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go on a fruits and vegetables for 10 days. I don't know if you've ever done that. I used to do it prior to my trips, pre-COVID, I used to travel. And so when I went over to overseas, uh, there was no jet lag involved. There was no lack of strength. I went with Brother uh, Tom, and uh, prior to that, 10 days, I believe it was, um, I went without any food uh, as far as uh, just fruits and vegetables uh, and water, of course, um, very, very little sugar other than the sugar that was in the fruit that I was eating um, that gives me the strength. And so Daniel ate no meat, nor wine, um, or, or pleasant bread. And if you have health problems or if you are pregnant, uh, you need to be careful, or if you're type 2 diabetic, I would be careful in doing this without consulting your doctor uh, to find out whether or not you should, because I think the diabetic people have to have something in their stomach at all times to help them with their diabetes. And so I'm not recommending that to somebody to help your or to hurt your health. Uh, I think it's important for us to know that fasting is for a healthy reason, yes, but it's also for spiritual reasons, for a reason. And sometimes people will just fast for their health reasons, you know, like, you know, you can either lose 10 ugly pounds by cutting your head off or else go on fruits and vegetables for 10 days. Uh, and so, it, just a joke, but I, I think it's important for us to remember that fasting is essential for the Christian. Supernatural fasting is another way of fasting. It is a complete no fast, no eating, uh, according to the scriptures, Esther four fifteen and uh, in verse 16, three days of nothing. Um, you can go without food, but no water. For no more than two or three days, uh, Deuteronomy nine nine, Moses abstained for forty days and nights. But God had given Moses a supernatural protection and a supernatural power to be able to do that. Um, I was actually at a conference one time where a pastor was um, going through a real difficult time, and he took forty days and forty nights without eating. Um, forty days, um, and I don't know if he drank liquids or not during that time. But into it, uh, several days into it, he became kind of delusional in a way. His health wasn't good um, to begin with, um, and it certainly wasn't good during that particular time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, he said that he, he began to really be broken before God after a while, um, knew how, how frail he was. Uh, he finished it, by the way, the 40 days, and um, he's still pastoring. But he talks about um, not being able to control himself as far as crying and weeping. And his, his temperament changed. His personality force changed. Um, and, and I might have told you this before. Uh, the individual then, um, this pastor, uh, during his crisis, um, almost became suicidal uh, during that time of fasting. Um, and he was quite frank about it. He's quite open about it and transparent. Um, 
There was a day when he was thinking about doing this particular, doing himself in, and he got a phone call from a young lady in the ministry, and uh, she was going to be married, and they were gonna, he was going to do the service and so on. So he went home and got changed. The girl wanted to go out to eat with him and his wife, and so he told his wife, get ready, we're going to take her out to eat. I think they went to Red Lobster, and uh, sat down at the table, and she began to cry and saying that this particular uh, Saturday, you're going to walk me down the aisle as my pastor. But I want to tell you something. Moving into this with a new husband, uh, the man I've chosen has got some baggage with me because my father committed suicide. Um, boy, did his backbone straighten up a little bit. Um, and it was kind of like the Lord allowed her to, to, to keep him from doing something that he, that he would, have, would have been so... Um, you know, sorry he did. Um, others would have hurt too through it. Um, but this is a real thing during a, during a time like this where he felt that way and uh, he, he began to weep and went home, of course, with his wife and they prayed together and they got through it. But that young girl um, said that I'd have a hard time with my husband. I'm going to give myself to him, but I've been hurt because of my, what my father did uh, years ago. And it was a, re- a real situation. And I believe that God used this in that pastor's life to help him really begin to be strong concerning people that go through times of depression and discouragement to be able to help them out of it. Of course, God was his comfort. Um, And I didn't plan on telling you that this morning. What I wanted to, to tell you was that there are people that are able to go 40 days without eating. Um, but I wouldn't do it without drinking something. Uh, be really careful. And, th- and that really isn't the, uh, the, the desire to hurt ourselves in all of this. That would be a, a wrong reason to do, to do, the, to do the fasting. Um, and the real reason can be explained. I want to I take you a little further in this understanding of, of different situations where there were fasting in the Bible. Uh, and then fasting for on you. Um, so when should I fast? Maybe that would be a question you could ask somebody. Um, and they would ask me, when should I fast? Number one is when conditions demand it. Matthew fifteen thirty two. the people did not have a choice. They were following Jesus. And they would have had to go away uh, and find food. So they were fasting, going without food. Their hunger for Christ was more than their hunger for food. And, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ supplied for them the food, but they were in somewhat of a fast. So when conditions demand it, maybe you have been without food. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, we were in a situation where we didn't have food for a, for a little while. It wasn't a long period of time. It wasn't like days. But uh, the ship, of course, was um, uh, preparing the food for us. Um, we had what we would call MREs at that time. They were switching over. They used to have the little canned things. And so there was a period of time where the food was very scarce. Um, and so there were men that were actually refusing to eat the MREs, and so they were fasting. Um, so when, when conditions demand it, but also when contrition dictates it. Um, in Psalm 102, verses 3 and 4, turn over there if you would with me. Uh, Psalm 102, and we're going to look at a few scriptures. I may take up two Sundays uh, of this particular subject, but... Uh, but Psalm 102, verses 1 and 2, says, Hear my cry, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not, hide not thy face from me in the day which, when I am in trouble. 
incline thy ear unto me in the day when I call, uh, when I, I call, answer me speedily. Uh, of course, he goes on to explain how his days, how he felt that particular time. And so I, I really believe, according to Psalm 102, that there are going to be periods of times where the contrition, or what I would say would be a broken spirit, um, that, that we would be contrite. And sometimes uh, you don't choose to be contrite, but sometimes circumstances allow you to go that direction or push you in that direction. The losing of a loved one or perhaps somebody who is really, really sick, or a situation where your children are going wayward or whatever. David was so overwhelmed with sorrow, he did not even want to eat. Um, And I think in verses 3 and 4, show us that. Look at the same, 102 verse 3. It says, "...where my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in hearth, and my heart is smitten and withered like grass, and so that I forgot to eat my bread." Um, I, I, I met a man one time years ago, uh, not too far from here, that um, was in a little bit of a contrite situation. Um, I came into his home, and, and he had uh, all kinds of things on the table. Uh, he was sitting there, um, distraught, crying, weeping, and I asked him, when was the last time you ate? And he didn't even think about it. Um, can a person get to that place where they are so broken, uh, they are so contrite that they forget about food? That's possible. And so sometimes when we're dealing with people that are fasting, when conditions demand it, also when contrition dictates it, um, this type of brokenness may have caused this in your life. Uh, all, all your focus is on is, is wanting comfort somehow, and you want it from the Holy Spirit, and you know that if you cry out to God from above, that he will give you the ability to move forward. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you at home this morning, you've gotten up, you have your coffee, you're comfortable, but maybe you've been there, and maybe that's why you're not here. It's because you've gone through a real difficult time like this, where you were contrite, where you were broken, where you were actually seeking nothing, except comfort, and you forgot to eat. Uh, So you have fasted, didn't even realize it. Um, I think it's important for us to remember these things. The last one would be where choice directs it. Um, And sometimes people choose to fast. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 2, Jesus chose to fast. And this is the type that we're talking about this morning, when people choose to fast, what is the objective? Um, some people think that it has no place in Christianity today, that Jesus is enough, there's no need to fast, you already have him. Uh, some, some say it's unscriptural, um, but almost 100 times, Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible speaks of it. In the Old Testament, Moses David, Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Hannah. Um, The New Testament, we see that the Lord Jesus fasted. I think that's enough. If the Lord Jesus Christ needed to fast, don't you think we should have that need to? We should. I mean, what would happen if we 
really got serious about it. During the COVID crisis, I put on GBC News, let's go for a fast. Anybody want to fast all day on Friday? Um, all day on, well, fast till Sunday morning? Or I think most of the time when I ask for a fast of you people, it's usually for a day, because I know you can do that. Um, a, a simple thing to fast. Over a situation that we're going through, not only in our church, but also in the world. I think the people of God could fast. In the New Testament, there was Jesus fasting. Paul fasted. I think the early church fasted. Anna. And so there's different places where we could see in the New Testament there was fasting going on. Some say it's unspiritual. They think that some fanatic, crazy, abusive person, they talk about, they talk like you're just a Pharisee, you're just a kind of a showy person, that's why you're fasting. And they would say Jesus rebuked them because they fasted and prayed. But Jesus rebuked their praying, their giving, because they were doing it in their obedience because it was all law-oriented rather than spiritually oriented. Um, some say it's unhealthy. There's some folks that, that do, like I mentioned earlier, have diabetes. And so for health reasons, it's not healthy for them. That's what they say. But if you are healthy and fasting, um, or fasting is a, a cleansing for a healthy person. Um, you know, I, I, I can honestly say that when I fasted and prayed that there is something that happens with my spirit. It becomes more contrite. Remember when David was praying out and saying, forgive me, O God, and he was saying how that, um, Lord, would you please... Um, Create the right spirit in me. I really believe that can happen during a fasting period of time. Because we can be so absorbed with self. We can be so absorbed with self that we think that we're right all the time. And then we sit in a restaurant someplace all by ourselves and we entertain ourselves. Because everybody else around us is wrong and we're right. And I really believe that the right spirit in us will bring us to a place where we are humble and not so prideful that we will humble ourselves before men and listen to other people. I think, uh, I think it was, I read where J. Harold Smith has, has a book called Fast Your Way to Health. I think there is some reasons that people would do it for energy and for a sharp mind to lose weight and different things. Um, so I don't think it's unhealthy. I think it's a healthy thing to do it. So look, look at the objective of fasting if you're taking notes, I talked about the occasions for fasting, the objective and the object of fasting. Why do people fast? There's five reasons. Number one is because fasting rebukes pride. It says that in Psalm 35, verse 13, also Psalm 69, verse number 10. Fasting states your total dependence upon God. This fasting is the sincere desire to know God and his will. And I think when we come to that place of saying, you are more important than my food, um, we are going to make a difference. Uh, it's going to make a difference in our life, personally. And so, uh, yeah, Joey, bring that to it. Uh, I was thinking about um, this particular idea of fasting. Uh, I was kind of having a difficult time in my life years ago. I know the Lord Jesus Christ saved me.
that when I, when I came back on a ship from the Marine Corps over, from over in Lebanon and how he came back to the States and, and uh, um, decided that I was going to follow Jesus again, renew my mind and my heart because God was gracious enough to give me more years um, that, that I began to work hard. Um, that's what we were told to do since we were little. But, but there were some things going on emotionally and I was unstable in some areas. Um, but I, I, I go back to this idea of knowing that God is going to supply your need, um, according to his riches, of course. But during that time, I took Tuesdays, and I wouldn't eat anything all day, um, consistently. It wasn't something I did for a month. It was a consistent time. My Tuesdays was a day to fast. Um, and, and that particular day, I would throw mail, you know, get all ready, get it all organized, put it in my bag, put it in my truck, so on. And, and I wouldn't have anything to eat that morning um, on a Tuesday. I would actually find a break time, um, and, I, and I'd, I'd find a bathroom in, in some gas station somewhere. And instead of eating, I would, I, would, I would go into the gas station and lock the door and be on my knees in the corner of the gas station bathroom and crying out to God um, f- consistently. Um, it gave me the strength to say no. You know, the Bible says, blessed is them that endure temptation. You know, the temptation has not gone away at times, but it's how I respond to it. And habitually, I was able to respond to it in a humble way before God to say, I'm going to take this particular day and give it to you, Lord, because you're more important than my food. You're more important that you guide me in, in your will. And, and if you would accept me again, this would be wonderful. Uh, I know that I went to Bible college when I was right out of high school, and I left there and joined the Marines, and uh, God used all of that. And by the way, I wouldn't change any of it now. There's no way. All that was in preparation, and that was all part of God's plan. Um, And I'm so thankful he guided me away from the institution that I was in, and I'm so glad I went to the United States Marines. But some would look at that as being out of God's will. Um, they They can have that thought, but I really believe that during that time that I had in preparation and the times I had of fasting was very, very sweet, very, uh, very powerful, where I would take my Bible many times and just put it on my chest and hold the Bible close to me up against my head in different places where I knew that God was there with me and his spirit strengthened me to be able to do what is right and to be able to do what is right when nobody's watching me. That's part of integrity and doing right for the right reason and not trying to do it because it's popular, but doing what is right because God called you to do what is right. The making of somebody, I really believe, involves a fasting and a praying before God saying, Lord, you're more important than anything else right now. I need you. Um, And then to have the power to be able to accomplish God's will in, in a strengthening where you know that God is with you that's, that's huge. Um, and maybe the church or the kingdom of Christ needs uh, an understanding, a healthy understanding of, of fasting again, I think. But first of all, the fasting uh, rebukes pride. And, and I remember there's been times during that particular time, time where, where I, I would begin to weep. And maybe you're like that, too, during those times of weeping, and, and you know that God's present with you. That, that, that contrite spirit is 
where God can draw close to that. Man, as soon as that happens to me, I'm in a closet somewhere saying, thank you, because I don't know where this is coming from, but I need to be humble. I can't be prideful walking around like it's all about me. It's about God and his kingdom. And when God begins to speak and work with you, and by the way, he can work with you, but he can work with the church. He can work with the pastors crying out to God and the deacons and then the the Sunday school teachers and on down the line, and God can move again, and God desires to. He's trying to get our attention, folks. He's trying to get our attention. But we're so caught up with ourselves and our things that we don't have time for God. At noon, you can go to any restaurant you want, have anything you want. You can be satisfied in your palate because of the world we live in today. But maybe things will change. And maybe things are changing. We don't even realize how much it's changed when it comes to fasting. So first of all, fasting rebukes pride, but it also reinforces prayer. If we were to look at Jeremiah 29, what a broken heart he had. Verses 12 through 14, or 12 and 14. We find God when, when we seek him with all of our heart. Joel 2, verses 13 and 14, seek God with all your heart. I think fasting and weeping and mourning, it's all involved with fasting. I think prayer is linked right up with, with fasting. I think fasting and praying kind of go hand in hand. Because we can pray, and God does hear our prayers. Um, Gene Northup constantly texts me, you have not because you ask not. She called me recently with with a really big praise. And afterwards she put, you have not because you ask not. But in both Jeremiah 29 and Joel 2, it's linked to prayer, but it's also linked to reinforcing the seeking of God. Um, cause we go to him and say, Lord, like this morning I was praying for many of you on the way to church and I go right through your names and I, I text Howard and I text Lydia and I said, you know, I'm praying for you. I text my boys first of all this morning and said, look, I'm praying for you guys. And I, I want you to know that you're going to have a good Lord's day and I'm praying for that. And, and I'm praying that God will work here in our midst. I'm not looking for large groups. I'm looking for some sincere people who want to see God because I, I believe that God can do a lot with the little people if they're seeking him. I don't think it takes a lot. I think a lot of people sometimes can be dangerous because then we start thinking, well, everybody else is doing it. Give me five people that say, I wanna, I'm hungry for God. I, wanna, I want him to do something supernatural within my life. He will do it for you. Instead of having 500 people that just kind of have an emotional experience. But fasting reinforces prayer. If you really want to seek God with all of our heart, we should pray and weep. And fasting gives power, depth, and dimensions to your prayer. If you really want to pray passionately, remember the Spirit moves within us and reminds us of what we need to pray for. That's why on Wednesday nights, by the way, the Wednesday night group is down quite a bit. Let's stop that, folks. I'm not trying to be mean, but you should be here on Wednesday. You say, well, the COVID thing. How long is the COVID thing going to last? Your Christian walk is throughout eternity. COVID is temporal. Um, but it, it is necessary that the church prays. Um, 
So let me just give you another thing to think about. First of all, fasting rebukes pride and fasting reinforces prayer, but also fasting redirects God's program. In Jonah 3, 5 through 10, Jonah had finally preached to Nineveh. And here we see the people repent and proclaim a fast of the people. And God heard them. He saw the humble spirits, and God turned. He redirected his wrath. I don't know about you, but I don't think that the fires out west is because of man's wrath. I think it's God's wrath. I don't think that this hurricane that is fueling up on our coast near, it may hit Pensacola, it may hit, you know, Louisiana again. I I believe it's God's wrath. I believe that God is sick and tired of looking down to his people. God bless America, they're singing it, and then they live like heathens. I, I don't think that that's pleasing to God. I don't think Hollywood is the way God wants us to go. I don't think performance was on his mind. Let's get 12 guys so they can do something wonderful in the area of showmanship. No. He needed needed 12 men to be dedicated all the way to their death for the cause of the gospel. I was blessed this morning because the cross was unlit here. Uh, And... All I had to do was find an extension cord, and I plugged it in, so it works this morning. They've got to keep our, you know, for some reason that outlet went out. I don't know why, you know. Um, there's demons in there, and there are electricity outlets. But I, I got this one. I got it working because the cross needs to be lit still in this day. We still need to lift the cross up, folks. It's so simple that even a, a, a mind like I have, I don't have a, a sharp mind, and you know that. But I really believe that God can use anybody with the faith that they have to say, we need to move forward with the cause of Christ. Last night was a blessing to me. I'm live, so I'm not going to tell you how many people we had here. It was was wonderful to see them laughing and having fun and eating and fellowship. It it looked like it was pre-COVID. So they were able to kick Satan's face a little bit last night. And the preaching of the gospel was really clear. And it was exciting to see the gospel being preached here. And he had illustrations up on the, on the board. And there was people that were here from the Madison area that never been here before, families, because they brought them in and loved them and cared for them. And I haven't heard yet whether any of them gotten saved, but I guarantee you they didn't get out of here without hearing the gospel. And I appreciate uh, the group that came up. There's just a few people from... Uh, Northern Illinois that came up, but then we had a whole lot of people come uh, from the Madison area. So fasting redirects God's program. Fasting is absolutely essential within the Christian life today, and here we see the people repent and proclaim in Nineveh, Jonah chapter 3, verse number 5. And today, people ask if there's any hope for America. I say there is, if we fast and pray. God wants to do something, but if the righteous, if the faithful, would take time. You see, because the world system has always been bad, and and the movements have always been bad. And remember that God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because 
of the evil. He destroyed it because of the lack of righteousness. If there is 10 righteous people there, I'll leave it alone. That puts it back on us. And so when we turn on CNN or Fox News and we get upset and want to throw something at the TV, I never never get that way, but maybe you do. We'd say maybe it's the Christians that need to push the reset button. So we fall on our face and pray for America. Would God heal our land like 2 Chronicles 7.14 says? I believe he would. I believe he would. And the most elite person in the pulpit today. The educated people will say that that particular verse is a different dispensation. You know, No, it's the same God. And he'll hear our prayers too. We fast and pray. I think humility is absolutely essential in all of this. If we humble ourselves and fast, we declare seeking God is more important than our needs. Not one of us in here have not had our needs met this last week. God provided for us. But also, there's another reason for fasting. And so maybe you're writing them down. Number one is fasting rebukes pride. Fasting reinforces prayer. Fasting redirects God's program. But also, fasting releases people from the prison that they've been in for years. And so this verse, really, in Isaiah 58, verse number 6, if you were to read that, let's just turn over there, Isaiah 58, verse number 6. Isaiah 58. I love the book of Isaiah. 58, verse number 6. If we read it in its context, we see that God promises to help us to be godly, but it is the acceptable fast. In verse number 6, though, it says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. I think that prayer and fasting ought to be part of the Reformers Unanimous program. I think it ought to be part of every single discipleship program. That before we have this program, I want you to give yourselves to prayer and fasting for 24 hours that God would use this in your life. To, listen, otherwise it will become some social means. You might as well go to a scenario like Cheers where everybody knows your name. We do not want to have a program in our ministry that is a social thing. The purpose behind it is to bring people to Christ and to disciple them to walk pure. And if Christ did not die on the cross so that you could live pure, then why did he die? And why did he suffer? He did so that we could live righteous and clean and holy lives. Makes sense when we think about seeking him and looking back at the Old Testament. Fasting releases from prison. This verse is about letting people go from the entangled sin. You're loosed from those bands of sin. See, sin binds you. I remember hearing a sermon years ago about Samson, that sin blinded him. He blinds, it binds, they bound his hand, and he was in the mill grinding. Sin grinds. The sin does all of that to us. And I think really, if we're really honest with ourselves, that you look back at certain sins in your life that have really messed you up. But God is in the business of releasing you from those. God is in the business of of giving us victory over those things. I can't believe the time is up. Be back next week.
Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I do pray certainly for a couple, Leah, this morning. She is still struggling, that you would heal her body, Lord. Um, the, the family is praying and fasting. And so far, she's been able to come out of many things, but I pray that she would be able to go home. We pray for Martin Smith this morning with his lungs, Lord. We ask that you would deliver him again, bring his oxygen levels up. Father, I pray that he would be able to go home and be with his children. You've been so merciful to him and to his family. I pray that you would continue, Lord. And, and I pray that you would breathe upon the churches and the pastors today, that your Holy Spirit would, would work in them. Again, Lord, help us to be reminded of your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 minutes or so, we'll have the morning service. Scripture reading. Take your Bibles, if you would, please go to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. I will read from verses 13 down through verse number 20. And then we will read verse number 18 together, which is our key verse this morning. Matthew chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 18 together, please. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture this morning, and we thank you for this promise that no matter what comes in this world, uh, it's, not going to, it's not going to impact your kingdom. Your will will prevail, uh, even to the gates of hell. And we thank you for that promise. I pray that you'll bless Pastor as he preaches this text this morning, fill him with power from on high, also, Lord, bless the music special we're going to hear now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not what I prayed for. It's not what I wanted. It's not something I understand. My circumstances seem so confusing I'm placing it all in your hands Your ways are higher than mine I want mountains to move 
One day I'm sure I will look back and marvel at how you knew best all along. You see from heaven, you know it's the hard times that make my faith steady and strong. Your ways are higher than mine. I want mountains to move. You want me to climb. So I'm gonna trust your work, your will, and your time. Your ways are higher than mine. When I start to doubt, help me believe somewhere so far above me. Your ways are higher. what's going on in our world today and we're wondering is it ever going to end well it will end someday uh, maybe not the way that uh, people think it might we have to keep looking to the Lord I just wanted to reassure you that the church is tri- triumphant and in all of that I think is what's directed me toward this message this morning and I'm so glad you're here I think we need in-person worship there is seems to be a, a battle against that um, going on in the world system. I, I, I think there's a contradiction between dark and light. There's, there's a, a conspiracy from dark and light. And so what's happening in our world system today is something we need to take note of. And uh, I'm not a conspiracy-type theorist pe- person, but it just seems to me like everything is ripening for the one world order, uh, even more so with the virtual schooling uh, how can you get rid of uh, the history of a great nation like this, other than the great nation like this um, imploding uh, from within? And so if they can get rid of our history, if they can get rid of and, and bring a format to the schooling system, the education system, so it's all through one avenue of teaching, not just nationwide, but also worldwide, you can see actually that happening, at least steps toward that now, today, in which we live in, and our culture is changing drastically. And there has been nations that have come before us. There has been always the rise and fall of different nations. I think of, of the, uh, the different um, nations and the emphasis in Daniel chapter 2, where there is a development, if you would, of nations from the head to the toe of that big um, 
statue, big idol that was actually made. And, and I think if you were to see that the Roman uh, Empire being the end, uh, or the feet, if you would, or the ten toes on that particular um, understanding, I, I think we would actually say that we're close to the end of time. And uh, just to let you know, too, about the Roman Empire, it was it lasted for about 470 years, and there were 70 rulers during that time. In the first century, the Lord Jesus Christ came into that, stepped into the first century of that Roman Empire, Tiberius, which was in rule when Jesus came, was probably the worst, one of the worst rulers uh, in the Roman Empire. And uh, being able to say that these nations have come before us and they have fallen, um, I think that it reminds us that the church being triumphant, no matter what happens with these nations or these empires, the Lord Jesus Christ was setting up a kingdom that would never falter and never fall, and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against it. This particular kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is not the Baptist church. It is not the Catholic church. It is not the Lutheran church. It is the kingdom of Jesus Christ that was spoken about in Daniel chapter 2. And it is the kingdom of heaven that we're actually presenting this morning in the text. If you look at Matthew chapter uh, 16 again, the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to make sure that his disciples knew about this particular kingdom and wanted to mention to them and show them that it would actually be able to exist and be able to continue all the way through. In fact, verse number 13, if you would, of Matthew chapter 16, it says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What, what, a, what a wonderful question. It's a question for you. It's a question for each person here, isn't it? You know, who do you say that Jesus is? Um, how do you view him? And by the way, you really can't view yourself until you ask, answer that question. And once you a- answer that question, then you understand who you are. It's important for us to know that Jesus Christ was developing his disciples by asking the question, who do you say that I am? And they said, uh, some say that you are John the Baptist, and some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? So he gets a little closer because they're, they're saying, well, there are people say this. You ever have, you know, you ever ask somebody a question? What do you think about what's going on with the COVID? Well, they say this, they say, but what are you saying about it? What do you really think about it? When it comes to your relationship with God, the question would be asked to you, do you personally have a relationship with God? You say, well, yes, I do. And how do you have that relationship? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This was the desire of our Lord as he's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, who's saying that? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. Pretty interesting because it was not by his schooling, you know. It was not because he won a lot of fishing awards. It was, it was because the Father in heaven revealed this truth to a fisherman, that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. His spirit understood God's spirit and God conveying this to him that he actually was able to say, thou art the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. 
And, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, it's interesting because people in religion would believe that this is talking about God using Peter to build his church. Now, he did use Peter to help build his church, but not in the way that you think, perhaps, because of what they're saying concerning Peter. The Lord Jesus Christ was showing Peter that upon the truth that Jesus Christ is the rock, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this truth, and on that truth, Jesus Christ is going to build his church. Of course, Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the Lord of lords, is going to build his church on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so I will build my church means I will construct it, but I will also confirm it. I will also embolden it. I will also edify it, but I will also sustain it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. They shall not prevail against it. They shall not prevail. That particular word in the Greek language means to overpower. So the gates of hell cannot overpower the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. So really, the church is invincible. You can't stop it. The more you try to stop it out, the sparks fly everywhere, and there is more growth because people say, you need Christ also. Interesting when we're thinking about this text because it shows us something else. In verse 19, it says, And I will give unto thee the kings, the keys of the kingdom, not keys into the kingdom. The key to the kingdom is only by one person, and that's the son of David, Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has the key of David to open up the kingdom. Jesus Christ is the key, not Peter. So the keys, meaning the gospel, and entering into whatsoever thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shalt thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then charged he his disciples that they should not tell, man, tell no man, they should, they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Messiah. We're supposed to do just the opposite, but of course Jesus wanted to lengthen his time on the earth, and so he desired to be able to tell those men a little bit more about keeping it quiet so I have more time to heal so that he can do his work, and his time, of course, was being done there. But I believe that there is a subtle attack upon the church of Jesus Christ even more so today. And every generation has their issues. We have ours, don't we? But it seems to have, we have an abundance of issues going on today. But one facing our situation is this idea of, of uh, in, in-person worship. And uh, there's a battle going on right now on the West Coast. And so also the West Coast goes America. I remember when I was a teenager in high school, and it was like, the, it was really cool, the fads that were actually, you you'd take your jeans and you cuff them up, and you put hiker boots on. You know, I was in middle school at that time, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Ended up going to a Christian school where I had to wear a, a red tie, you know, had to wear a blue shirt, and so on. We had uniforms, and so on. But before that, I went into public school, and everybody seemed to kind of had all the fads. They started out in California, and they swept across our country. It seemed like the music came out from out there, and so on. And so also, some of these guidelines and some of these rules that are happening in the West, watch the West, because it could sweep across America if we're not careful with the area, with the idea of in-person worship. And I think John MacArthur's doing a great job. But I want you to see actually a little bit more of why he's doing what he's doing. And why is he saying that the government is not in charge of his church? Why is he saying that? Because he knew that the Rock of Ages 
was in charge of his church and is now today. That the, the person that runs Grace Baptist Church is not Pastor Howell. I go to bed at night, I, I pray, I try to give everything to people to do some work around here and to serve people and so on. But there is this incredible desire for us to go back to and remember that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and he is the sustainer of the church and he will continue to have his church move forward and his church is triumphant. And you're part of it because you're part of the body of Christ. When we're talking about the rock upon this rock, I thought that was interesting, the, the, phrase, the phrase here, upon this rock, this rock, this truth that Jesus Christ is, the, who do you say he is? Well, I, I believe he's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That rock is where he'll build his kingdom. And I think it's important for us to remember that he is the rock. In Daniel chapter 2, the Bible says, And in the days of these kings shall come the God of heaven, and he'll set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is certain. Actually telling us that there is going to be a kingdom that is going to be hewn out of the mountain, and that particular stone that was hewn out is going to crush all the kingdoms because the kingdom of Jesus Christ is invincible and it will be forever. And in order to enter into his kingdom, it's not through his system. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ today? Have you given him your life? Have you given him your heart? That's the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It's not that we would gather together and do some kind of religious act and get to our cars and just do everything we want to do today, but that we would cry out to the God of heaven for mercy upon our souls and that we would say, Lord, you are the only way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure saved from wrath and make me whole. I love the song we sang this morning. You know, times like these, this rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And so on me making that adjustment and understanding this morning and that way of introduction, I think that there are certain things that we have as far as our responsibility. And so let me just go through a few of those. If we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the church. And let me just ask you a few things and have you think about this. First of all, we have an unfinished task before us. If the church is triumphant and is invincible, then what is our purpose and what is our task and how good are we doing and being involved in it? Those are good questions. But I think Matthew 28, 18 through 20 kind of give us an understanding. And Jesus came and spake unto them, his disciples, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And so go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. See, this is the task that Jesus Christ has given the church. Why do we exist? Well, we exist to glorify God. I believe that. And how do we glorify him? By leading people to him. You want to know how to lead someone to Christ? Come to the class today at 5 o'clock. Somebody taught somebody how to teach you to come to Christ. And so I think it would be good for us to have a class to help others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 16, the Bible says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for, uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me that if I preach not the gospel. And so Paul knew this, that he had one purpose, and that was to continue to glorify God by preaching the gospel to those that need Christ. And by the way, if we're not going to go out into the other lands, we can't right now, God may bring them here so that we can actually be a witness to others and a witness to to those that that need Jesus Christ. Remember years ago... um, listening to a fellow that was a professor at the University of Wisconsin here and how somebody came in his office all distraught. The guy wasn't from this country. Uh, The professor wasn't from this country, even though he went to our church. And a man came in all distraught, and he led him to Christ right there in his office. So it's interesting that you can lead someone to Jesus. You can bring someone to that place. It's important that we have that understanding. And when we have... Uh, an unfinished task before us, we must then continue to finish it. Oh, that we would finish well, people. The church has been working all of these years to bring people to Christ, and I think we should continue to do that. I think that if we were to not keep that before us, I think we would be in disobedience to God. Uh, He wants us to go, and he wants us to tell people. I go to garage sales. They come to my sale. Well, if they come to our sale, they're in big trouble. Might as well say we're having a gospel sale today because everybody that comes, I was able to meet several people last week. We had a big garage sale and they came out. Um, I mean, I I had my pumpkin spice coffee and a little cinnamon creamer or whatever in it, you know, and trying to sell some of the stuff that we have. Some of it's not so much. It's more like a Defined as junk, maybe. Uh, but we're trying to sell some of it and, and get rid of it. But my main desire is to find out if they go to church somewhere. One man came over to me and started talking to me about um, lawnmowers. That they, they don't have the engine. You just push them, their little sickle ones. Remember the wheel sickle lawnmowers? I think we got rid of two of those for $25. I'm so glad they're gone. Uh, but he, he wanted them. And so... I started walking with him over to his truck to help him put him in, but ended up with probably about maybe 45 minutes of talk. And uh, maybe he's watching today, I don't know. But I got to know a little bit more about him. Builds decks for a living. And there was a time in his life when God began to work in his heart. I don't know if this man's born again yet, but I certainly gave him two tracks and the gospel so that he could understand that Having it up here is not good enough. You need to have it here. Uh, having a higher power is wonderful if you think that way, but having Jesus Christ is far better. 
And so by the time I got done with him, he knew what he needed to do to, to ask Jesus Christ into his life. God would forgive him of his sin. It's important that we would tell people about Jesus Christ. His kingdom is actually moving forward. And no matter how dark things get and how confusing they get, the gospel is still clear that Jesus Christ sent his only begotten son and whoso believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, people need to hear that today. We have an unfinished task. Virus or no virus, the task is still before the church. It's on us. It is a task that is actually unfinished. We also have an unchanging message, don't we? There are a lot of changes going on today, but the the, the message of Jesus Christ doesn't change. The Bible says until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his, and his kingdom, preach the word and be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You tie all of these scriptures together and you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is building his kingdom and it must go on, it must continue, even though uh, things are getting tough. And I, I just messed up my iPad for my notes. I remember a great man of God one time had lost his notes and he was just losing it because he said, I have to have that. I can't move on without it. Now I understand a little bit more. The unchanging message uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. The gospel really is the only message for sinners. And by the way, Oprah Winfrey did say that there were all, a lot of roads that led to, to heaven, to God. And that's not true. Um, the message doesn't change because our culture changes. Uh, you say, well, that's kind of old-fashioned. People tell me that all the time. You know what? I just kind of pretty, pretty content with being old-fashioned lately. I really am. You say, well, you can't do that and build a church. You know what? God's going to build his church. I just need to be obedient to what he's called me to do. And so do you. And think, well, you can't do it this way and you can't do it that way. You do it the way God wants you to do it. God will build his church. I think it's important for us to remember that God is still, the gospel is still the only message and only hope for sinners. But there is also an unprecedented purpose it's never really been given to anybody uh, this great task, more than the task that's before us. Let me just read to you a little bit about the task. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And therefore, seeing we have this ministry, Paul says, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, who who should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of, of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's important for us to know that every person who has trusted Christ, that light is in you, and that light desires to shine to others around you. And when it happens, God is glorified. Some people never find their purpose in life. But church, you have a purpose. Say, well, what is the purpose of the church? <laughs> well, you know, is, is it to have committees? Is it to have, you know, a boards? You know, is it to have the intellectual in charge? You can look at the state of those churches today. When the noble people don't put their neck to the work of the ministry, it will fall. I remember reading in Nehemiah that the nobles put not their work, their necks to the work of the ministry. Because sometimes people think that their title is everything. Your title is not everything. We are to serve and we are to minister. We are to humble our hearts before God. We are to continue to persevere. Listen, young person, you may be discouraged today. And you may think you can't do much. But let me tell you something. When you serve people, you're glorifying the Father which is in heaven. He said, the greatest among you will be your what? Minister, which means you minister, your servant. The greatest among you will be those who serve. I was so blessed last night. Uh, it actually started last week. Brother, Brother uh, Mario was coming to me and talking about the downstairs and getting everything ready, getting the tables all set up. And I went down there Friday afternoon before I went home, and they were here setting everything up and putting the colorful uh, tablecloths over everything. And, and they, they, were, they, they, they actually cut strips out of paper, just hundreds of them, to be able to put on the wall. It's, uh, our, 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 our Spanish-speaking pastor is wonderful, and his, and his wife is wonderful. They, 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 just have done, they, they love to serve people. They're down there working day and night to... You know, and he's saying, you know, I got this guy coming in to preach, and we need this, and just such a blessing. All the stuff that, you know, the last person to leave here last night after serving and cleaning up was Monsi and Brother Mario. You see, it's not the title. It's the serving. We have a task before us. We have a responsibility, but some people never find their purpose in life. Some people are wandering around. Do you have a purpose in life? Do you have a purpose-driven life? And let me just steal that phrase if I can, not talking about exactly what he is speaking of, but the, the concept is there. Do you have a purpose in this life? Someone said a life without a purpose is like a road without a destination. Well, isn't that a wonderful road? Where does it go? I don't know. Is that the way your life is? I'm talking to you this morning. Don't you think I'm... You're, right now you're thinking I'm talking about the person behind you, the person next to you. I'm talking to you. If you do not have a purpose in life, you better get one pretty quick. Because life is going to be an incredible difference when you have a purpose. There's joy there. There's comfort there. There's, there's a real desire to do something. All purposes. By the way, your purpose in life would change everything. Recently, I heard a story, I read a story about Spurgeon concerning a class of boys who were having scripture lessons in the book of Daniel. And they were reading the book of Daniel together. And it says here, it says, one of the boys was asked to read some verses aloud. And he stood up and he began to speak. And he came to the, the verse 3 of the sixth chapter, which reads, because of an excellent spirit was in him. And by mistake, he read it this way. 
because of an excellent spine was in him. It was undoubtedly a bad reading, but this particular individual, Charles Spurgeon, thought it was appropriate because in order to have a purpose in life, it'll give you a spine. And you think Daniel had a spine? Didn't he purpose in life? I purposed to do this, and I purpose to do this before God. This is what God's given me to do, and this is my purpose, is to be a, a, an encouragement to people and to serve them. Oh, everybody might not be able to be on a platform, but everybody can serve. How are you serving the Lord and his kingdom today? It's invincible because God has placed into his kingdom servants. It's kind of foreign to all of the other kingdoms and all of the other nations that thought they were successful like the Roman Empire, thought that they were invincible. Oh, they were, they, were, they were invincible, believe me. But the Lord Jesus Christ has a kingdom that will continue on. I think when we talk about Daniel, it says in verse number 1, or verse number 8 of chapter 1, and Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And therefore he requested of the prince and the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The work is Solomon. The work is solemn, and therefore do not trifle. The work is difficult, so therefore do not relax. The opportunity is brief, and therefore do not delay. The path is narrow, therefore do not wander. The prize is glorious, therefore you can't quit. Dear friend, let me tell you something. If you're serving at Grace Baptist Church, continue. Continue. The battle is against you, by the way. You've got a target on the back of your head. Let me tell you something. You need the the armor of God upon you. And it's not something that you just kind of polish every day. You put it on and you wear it and you be strong in the Lord and be strengthened in his might to do his work and to continue on doing it. If you are a servant of the king and God's given you a place here at Grace Baptist Church to serve, or maybe somewhere across the country or maybe across the world in the Philippines or whoever's watching this, if you're doing something for God, continue on. Continue. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have an unprecedented purpose but we also have an unlimited power. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. The Lord said this back in the Old Testament, and then he said and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This morning I was praying specifically for just two things, and God has answered both those prayers this morning already. You see, God wants you to know that it's not your talent. It's not your education. It's his spirit. It's not your achievements, but it's his spirit in you that can do something great. If you just call upon him, he'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be in tune with the power from on high because his servants need his power. It's a secret power. It shouldn't be, but it is. It's the Holy Spirit in you, the same spirit that breathed into the nostrils of Jesus Christ to raise him from the dead lives in you. And you can do great things with God. 
He will give you the power to do it. Don't be wimpy in God's kingdom. Be strong and be strengthened in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13, for as though he was crucified through, through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God, for, he also, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. And so the Holy Spirit is the secret and really blessing of spiritual life. The following incidents, I read this on Friday, was frequently cited by A.J. Gordon. An American with an English gentleman was viewing the Niagara Whirlpool Rapids. I've never been there. Maybe you have. And he said to his friend, come and I'll show you the greatest unused power in the world. And he took him to the foot of Niagara Falls and there it was. He said, there, that's the greatest unused power in the world. He said, no, 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 no. He said, the greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit living in men because we shy back and think we are without power. We're tired, we're weary, we're frail. We have fleshly ways of handling things, but the power of God can be in you to accomplish anything he requires of us. We have an unending presence of God also. I think about that, that God's presence never ends. I love it when I am able to be with the family. We were together yesterday for a little bit, a little bit of a reunion type thing, and they started this thing now where, you know, we're going to try to get together as family. I think it's wonderful. You know, I love my church family, but I sure love my family. The first people that I text this morning were my sons. I know they live in different places and do different things, but they mean so much to me. My wife means so much to me. My mom's actually going to go with us tomorrow. We're going to go down and do a little bit of relaxing, and we're taking Virgil and Joan with us, and we're taking my, my mom also. And uh, it'll be a time to be able to get away. But I sure enjoy family, don't you? I think it's important for us to remember that being with family is wonderful, but being with God is far better. It's hard to let go of things, isn't it? This world has nothing. And there's no person that will make you as happy as God can. You say, well, I can't live without that person. Oh, you can. And God will give you strength. Remember that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Other people may give up on you. And you may hear somewhere down the road that they've turned on you. But God never will. He'll always be by your side. What is that shade upon you? Oh, that's the Lord. He is next to you. Whether I go from thy spirit or whether I flee from thy presence, I will ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell or the grave, behold, thou art there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. There's more. The church has this unfailing promise. And that unfailing promise is that he is going to return. People will mock him today, but I take his promise as being true. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
Because in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be able to be there also. The next prophetic event, I believe on God's calendar, is for the removal of his church. I believe he will come again for us. We have an unfinished task. We have an unchangeable message. We have an unprecedented purpose. We have an unlimited power. We have an unending presence. We have an unfailing power. But we have an unimaginable place waiting for us in heaven. I just wonder what it'll look like. The Bible says that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. What an interesting word. Second Corinthians 12, 4, it says, How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. The Bible says in Revelation 2, 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. When the church, being invincible, understands its position, then it understands that even the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. In 2 Peter 1.11, it says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church triumphant. I read this. Bear with me as I read it. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, that he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it is forced to flow underground. Because now the purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has been forced its way through the solid rock. There have been many who, like Simon the magician, sought to barter on the open market the power which cannot be bought or sold, but God has always had a people, men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase. God has always had his people. There's been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted into oblivion. But those who sought to be socially attractive, meticulous perhaps, and organized, financially profitable, but God has always had his humble people. Yes, it has been gold-plated, draped in purple, encrusted with jewels, It has been misrepresented, ridiculed, lauded, and scorned, but God has always had a people. And these followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whims of times, elevated sacred leaders or modern heretics, yet through it all, they march forward and they continue to be the army of the meek, God's chosen people who cannot be bought, blabbered, murdered, or stilled. On through the ages they march It is called the church. It is God's church, triumphant. Bill and Gloria Gaither 
wrote a song concerning it. The words go, let the church be the church and let the people rejoice. Oh, we've settled the question. We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring, song of victory swell, for the church triumphant is alive and well. The second verse says, this ship's been through battles before, storms and tempests and rocks on the shore, though the hull may be battered, inside it's safe and dry, and it will carry its cargo to the port in the sky. And the chorus goes, let the church be the church and let the people rejoice. Oh, we've settled the question and we've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out. Songs of victory swell, for the church triumphant is alive and well. It is alive it is alive, it is alive, for the church triumphant is alive and well. I remember as a little boy sitting in church and wondering when the preacher's going to be over. I remember sitting in church and feeling the sense that maybe perhaps if I don't eat something soon, I'm going to die. I've been sitting in church, and I remember many times in church when I thought, what's going to be like when I get home and we sit around the table and meet with my mom and dad and my brothers and my sisters and how wonderful it'll be around the table. And sometimes I'd be sitting in church and wondering, my goodness, I wonder where this place is going in the future. I remember sitting in church and just couldn't wait till the guy would just shut up with all of the talk and just get to the gospel. I remember sitting in church and wondering if my aunt was going to sing the next Sunday or if, if my grandpa was going to sing. I remember sitting in church so many times and wondering what's going to happen to the church. Here I am all these years later, and the church continues. And you know what's going to happen, dear friends, is the people within the church are the ones that cause it to implode. It's the people within the church that's a problem because this whole world has its issues, but the church can continue to gather if they choose to. And the, and the church can continue to be in unity if it chooses to. And some of these little kids that are sitting here today wondering when it's going to get over, what are they going to do when they're 59 years old and 60 years old? Are they going to continue on? It's up to us. It's up to us as we think about the invincible, triumphant church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't stop it out, but you can neglect it. You can call it something else. You can go ahead and take it virtual if you want to. But as for me in my life, I will gather in person with people and have testimonies of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And I believe that God wants us to continue and then to continue until we hear that trumpet and see the sky split open and we see the golden streets. We need to continue with his church. Sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we get to the place where we're discouraged. I've been there. But I know that God will give us the strength to continue on. To tell people that they too can be saved. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I preached a lot longer than I wanted to this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I'm still kind of confused about my salvation. I don't even know if I really truly am saved. I don't know if I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family. Maybe you were a good, good person your whole life. But you still don't know if you're part of his kingdom. We're going to give you an opportunity this morning to come to know Jesus Christ. You've heard me talk about it. 
Say, how do I get into the kingdom? Oh, not through the keys of religion, but through the key of David, Jesus Christ. He is the key. And he holds the keys, by the way. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I do need Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to go to heaven. And I want to be part of his kingdom. Would you please pray for me? I won't point you out. But maybe just lift up your hand so I can pray for you. I, I won't mention your name, but I'll pray for you. Is there anyone? Just lift up your hand and put it back down. I'm not sure. Is there anyone here this morning? Then Christian, this message was for you. The Holy Spirit has already spoke to you. And dear Christian, if you need to come to an old-fashioned altar and kneel down, or if you need to come and talk to me of any reason, you come. I want to give you time to do that. Could you please stand right now? Would you please stand and close your eyes and bow your heads? We're going to give an invitation, and it's between you and God. And maybe there's something else that you need to deal with here at the altar. Why don't you come and deal with it this morning? God's already dealt with you, but this is just a chance or an opportunity for you to come and deal with it. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, the piano will begin, so will the invitation. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work now. In Jesus' name, amen. Carolyn. What a blessing to see all of you here this morning. We do have a meeting in the back in the teen room with the parents and uh, those interested in in that uh, shop class. Uh, There actually is, I think, only four spots left. Uh, We may make some exceptions, I'm not sure, but we've talked Wednesday night, had a meeting, and uh, there was already a lot of people signed up by that time. Could you go ahead and, and meet with us in that room if you'd like to be part of that? Bring your boys, bring your girls into there. Even if some of you want to, as adults, we're not asking you to sign up. But if you want to be part of that, it would be also a blessing for you to be able to meet and know a little bit more with Terry. Um, I just wanted to say be back tonight. I'm going to be dealing with the fruit. Um, Five o'clock, if you're interested in how to lead someone to Jesus Christ, I don't mind doing this and having a class. Sometimes people say, I'm a little bit stuck. I don't know what, what, how do I do this and what's the next step. A lot of times men have that in their own devotions with their wife. They're thinking, how do I do this? Um, it's absolutely essential that you take the steps of learning on how to be able to do something like this, of leading someone to the Lord. So five o'clock, if you would come back and be part of that. Let me, let me get Brother Daryl. Where's Brother Daryl at? Um, Okay, I think he's out. Brother Tom, could you come on up and close our service with a word of prayer? Um, Tom Tom Jelanik, I'm sorry, Tom. Uh, 
we got two Tom Toms. Come on, I was pointing for the village Lenny. And uh, the, 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 the one who milks cows every single morning. I, I, I can't believe it. I did it for like four summers, and that was enough for me. But to do it all the time, I think he's even part of the, the dairy. Uh, I think you're president of the dairy uh, here in uh, Dane County. Dane County. So, yeah, what a blessing. And you've been at it for a long time. 30 years. 30 years. So you know your cows, don't you? Most of them. Most of them? <laughs> Some of you don't want to know, right? Well, the one this morning didn't want to know me. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you close our service, brother? Appreciate you so much, Tom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for this wonderful meeting we had this morning. Lord, help us not forget that we are on a purpose, that we have a mission to tell people about Jesus Christ. And we're now entering the mission field when we leave that door of this church today. Help us to be always mindful of your presence. And when you prompt us to tell someone, help us not say no, but to say yes and to tell people about Jesus Christ, the only one that can make a life changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.